This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Toddlers, preschoolers, three-nagers, whatever you want to call this age, it is, without question, a tumultuous time. It's a time that my guest for this part of today's show calls psychotically awesome. When the little ones become toddlers, overnight, all the parenting treks become ineffective in the face of a whole lot of, well, let's call it personality. Why? Well, it's all about individuation, which means that little kids are realizing finally that they're separate from their parents and they're seeking control. The result? All those tantrums that we know and love so well. And as if that weren't enough, the recent push of early academics coupled with pressure to make childhood magical has created an odd paradox. You've got a bunch of three-year-olds sitting in their own poop while they're taking Mandarin lessons. So what's the trick to taking back toddlerhood? Well, drawing on her one-on-one work with thousands of families, her training as a social worker, and what she's learned raising her own son, my guest for this part of the show, Jamie Glowacki, breaks down how parent behavior affects toddler behavior, and she's going to talk to us about how to trade overscheduled, overstimulated helicopter parenting for imaginative, exploratory, independent discovery. And it all starts when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba, please be done. Over and over and over and over and over. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her Mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Jamie Glowacki, who's the author of Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, Tackling Those Crazy, Awesome Years, No Timeouts Needed. Jamie, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Let's talk about the, how life has been for you since the previous book, which was Oh Crap, and having to do with diaper changing and that sort of stuff. And diapers and potty training and uh, mm-hmm. and and then this book where your your child is somewhat out of diapers and moving into those horrible toddler years, yeah, or lovely toddler well, years depending on what day it is. For sure. Well, you know, it's funny. I've been, you know, believe it or not, I'm actually, you know, I got a little burnt out on talking about poop like every single day with clients. So I was sort of. You know, already expanding my practice, what I was seeing across the board with potty training and, you know, your average two to three-year-old, which is the same age range as the second book. But what I was seeing is this 
pendulum swing that keeps getting more and more severe every year and sort of a lack of boundaries or people expecting the, the strangest things from little kids, like expecting logic to work. And I was like, they're two, they're three years old. Like, you can't use logic. Um, you know, and, and parents' expectations were sort of out of whack. And so it was a sort of natural progression to write the second book. I had already started to do just straight-up parent coaching because so many parents resonated with oh crap potty training and my philosophy and, you know, how I speak and I'm pretty, uh, I shoot from the hip. And so they were like, you know, hey, could, could we hire you as a parent coach? And it just naturally drifted into there. And then Simon & Schuster, of course, you know, oh crap potty training was a hit, so they were definitely looking for another book from me. <laughs> well, that's so, not a bad thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of a natural progression. And I'm just kind of wondering whether you get some pushback from people, because I, I, I remember there were a few times where I've I've been speaking to groups and have been talking about little kids, a little younger than toddlers, but talking about the, their their lack of logic. And I, I made the analogy. I said, you know, th- th- they're little kids, toddlers or, or infants. They're kind of like cats, and there's no sense in trying to discipline them. You you do with what you do with a cat. You pick the thing up and you turn it around the other direction, rather yeah, than let yeah, them. Yeah, that's a good. Yep. You know, and, and people say, how can you say that? What a terrible thing to say about a child. And say, well, you know, but the, the, the truth is that <laughs> that's it. They're, they're not logical. They're, they're going to try to do as much damage as they possibly can before you catch that them. Is exactly, exactly. Yeah, they're, um, well, especially that age, like 18 to 24 months, it's like, it's like active suicide. If there's a cliff, they're going to go for it, you know? Um, yeah, I find that parents, I think what happens, honestly, is I think, you know, like we might be disgruntled with our parent, you know, how we were parented. But if you think about it, when our last memory of being parented probably is like, like the teenage years, right? So I find parents of toddlers trying to employ the same uh, philosophy and idea and discipline that they would employ with a teenager to a toddler. And just like you said, they're I love the idea that they're like cats. I always say they are actually, your average three-year-old has the same brain development as your average dog. So that's a really great way, you know, when I see parents like really trying to talk to their child about something they've done wrong, I'm like, you know they're not listening. It's just like if you were saying this to the dog. Like, no, 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 we don't pee on the carpet. That's mommy's favorite carpet. And and don't you know that you pee outside? You wouldn't say that to a dog. You'd be like, no. Stop (laughs) it. Stop it right now. Yeah, and definitely that's a huge part. That's a chapter in, when, in Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler because shaving language. I just find that parents are just over-explaining everything. And we've got, there's just, the brain development of your average two- or three-year-old is they don't have executive functioning yet. Their limbic systems aren't formed. You know, they, they need, they're just very black-and-white thinkers. So to try to muck it up with all this gray area and talk so much, it's just ineffective. Well, but then you get into a little bit of a gray area here because you don't want to assume that your children are re- going to remain puppies for life, and, oh, and we don't want sure, you know we don't sure. want to talk down to them, right? So you want to be a little out ahead. So when when do you, or how do you make a a, a nice mix between understanding that they may not be listening, but there's some little bit of what you're saying that's going to get through? I would say I always tell parents you want to use rich language when you're speaking to them about just about anything. You know, if you're talking in the car. Oftentimes, uh, a scenario that I see is is kids get contentious in the car, right? Like you'll they'll say something and then they'll start to throw a fit, and you'll you'll get into a power struggle with them. And and I think the car is a perfect place to have dialogue. So like if your kid 
I give an example in the book, like the, you might say, you know, oh, look at the clouds. And your kid says, you know, I see pink clouds and there's not a pink cloud. And you find yourself saying, you know, no, there's no pink clouds. And that's a perfect place for rich dialogue where you could say, you know, I, I don't particularly see that. You know, where do you see that? Can you show me? Do you see any shape? So you could start to use all this other language, mm -hmm. uh, particularly when it comes to disciplining, though, or to reprimanding or when you need your child to listen. You don't want to muck it up with too many words. So in those cases where you do need to say, no, I, I don't want you to do that, that's, the, that's sufficient, not an explanation of your feelings and their feelings, right? So just about in any other area, we do want to use rich language, and of course we want to be reading and singing and all those things. But in general, I find parents, when they, when they are trying to discipline or reprimand, or when it's a case when the child really does need to listen, I find parents use far too many words. Yeah. And then throughout yeah. the day, they use less words. They save their language in other areas. And I'm like, no, 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 flip it. <laughs> so let's talk about discipline. So you, you mentioned it a few times. And at the, at the heart of discipline is the idea of boundaries. And how do you begin to set boundaries for a child whose life goal is to break as many of them as quickly as possible? Oh, that's such a good question. That's like several chapters of the book. And that's I have a coaching circle online, and that's the bulk of our work is figuring out how to set boundaries. For me, I think the boundaries lie in, well, number one, I think from zero to five years, like get rid of the notion that you, I hear parents all the time, like, I, I want this relationship with my child, and that's not your job in zero to five. Your job is boundaries, rules, and keeping your child safe then they can depend on you. From a psychological standpoint, if they don't even have those boundaries, like set bedtime, set meal times, knowing that you're the one in control, that you've got this, that means eliminating a lot of choice, right? That, that this is how their day goes in routine and structure. Knowing that keeps them psychologically safe. If they don't have that, even in the best intentioned, you know, uh, middle to upper class homes, I'm not talking about, you know, like kids, kids in poor homes who, who may not have parents there, you know, who are neglected. Um, but your child can be psychologically unsafe. And so they are scrambling for those boundaries. And they're going to push and push and push until you give them those boundaries. And so... Learning to set them is, of course, totally individual, and it depends on the parents. But, yeah, I tell parents that it's emotionally swaddling, right? Like, why do we swaddle babies who need to sleep? Because their limbs are flaying. They're not in charge of their limbs yet, right? So they're flailing, and they'll wrap themselves in the face. And the same thing goes for boundaries, right? We're emotionally swaddling them because they're flailing. They are out to set. They're going to wreak havoc on your house and your, your psyche if you let them, right? So we, we set these parameters so that they don't and they don't flounder. So you don't Did think that, that the, the question that was, that was yeah, but so you don't think that swaddling is having to do with making them feel more secure. That it's really more of a self protective or not self protective, but us protecting them from from hurting themselves. Oh, I think it's both. No, no, no. It's absolutely to make them feel secure and and and, and taking care of. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why that got lost. Oh, okay. Um, no, I just want to make sure. No, I, I, it was a fascinating theory. I just just wanted to clear yeah. it up. That's okay. 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 No, I say too, like, um, why, okay, why do we fence in our yard? Let's talk about physical boundaries, right? Right. Physical boundaries are usually very easy because we fence in our yard because you don't let a two- or three-year-old out your front door to navigate. You don't because they'll get hit by a car. <laughs> they don't know enough about the world, so we keep them in a fence. 
And the same thing goes for, you know, their uh, their psyche, their emotional life, their psychological life. Those are the rules, those things that aren't tangible that we can't see. And I would say the biggest mistake I see, and it's, it's hilarious because I'm working with a bunch of clients right now, same thing, we start setting the boundaries and they you know, the next appointment, they're like, I'm devastated. It's not working. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, because you set a boundary doesn't mean the kid's not going to kick up against it. That's their job is to see if you mean business. If the minute you set a boundary, they're going to they're gonna try to get out of it. They're going to try to figure out a way. Just like when we fence them in a yard, they're going to try to escape. Why yeah. wouldn't they? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I'd say that's the biggest thing is parents set a boundary. The child bucks against it, and then the parents move the boundary, and that's where you get into trouble because you're like, no, now they're going to keep pushing, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Talking with Jamie Glowacki, who's the author of Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. And we're going to be taking a quick break right now. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Jamie about what's going on with toddlers and want to start talking about engaging the toddler mind. I'm Armin Brock. You're listening to Positive Parenting. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. (gasps) Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed at this time. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armand Brad. If you're just joining us, talking with Jamie Glowacki, who's the author of Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, Tackling These Crazy Awesome Years, No Timeouts Needed. So let's do talk about the, as I mentioned just before the break, uh, engaging the toddler mind. That's in the the kid part of the book. There's The book is divided up into a couple of different sections. There's the parent part of the book in which we are, are blamed for everything that's wrong with our kids. And then there's the, uh, the kid part of the book where we, we start taking a look at what's going on with what's happening in their mind. So, and you talked about some of that uh, earlier about stop educating and stop talking so much. But w- what's, what's going on? Give us an idea of brain development in the, in the toddler years and what we need to look out for. 
I think so much of what parents struggle with is we underestimate what our kids are capable of, and then we overestimate certain things. So one thing, for example, is I regularly hear from parents who, you know, my three-year-old won't sit and hold a pencil to write his name. I'm like, oh my God, he's three. He shouldn't be sitting. He shouldn't be writing his name yet. He should be exercising, you know, using tape and scissors to build the muscles in those three fingers that we use for writing. And so the brain, I think what happens is we just underestimate what they're capable of. And I'm a huge fan of developmentally, they should be working on life skills right now. So you have so many three-year-olds who aren't being challenged Right. They're being asked to sit still and focus and be well behaved in situations where they physically can't. And yet we're denying them what they are capable of. And, you know, things like helping in the kitchen and even board games. We, we there's a collective dumbing down, I feel like, you know, like four year olds are totally capable of playing something like Battleship. And parents regularly would say, no, 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 they can't. They can't. That, that's too old for them. Um, so it's about engaging, you know, finding things that are challenging. And it could be some kids love, like, worksheets. You know, you can go to Barnes & Noble and get one of those preschool worksheets. Some kids really love those. I find that the more contentious a kid, the more challenging your child, probably they're really smart. And they need they they might need some like <laughs> some like actual like math drills or something like that, even though I'm opposed to the early educate you know, the early yeah. academics. Um but yeah, I would say this is in general, it's it's about finding where they are developmentally and working with that. So I use the executive functioning, for example. I'm a huge fan of whiteboards around the house with lists because kids don't have developed executive functioning yet. And parents expect them to be able to do, you know, they'll rattle off two or three tasks. You know, go to your room and get your clean shirt and bring it to me. That's that's a lot for a little kid to remember. So I'm a big fan of whiteboards to sort of put the, the tasks down and the child can cross them off, mm -hmm. but it helps keep everything orderly. So, again, I think that's a huge area of, of yeah. where parents are overestimating their ability and underestimating in certain areas sure. with the executive functioning. You know, I want to have you talk a little bit about technology here. I, I had a book that just came out on fathers and toddlers just uh, last month, in fact. And yeah. one of the areas that I talked about was technology, and and I, I, I felt old as I was writing this section, but I think it's <laughs> it's not necessarily that, that so many people are, are giving their, their toddlers phones or tablets or other kinds of devices. And I talked to some pediatricians and did a lot of research on studies, and, and they're finding that little kids don't have the same muscle tone that kids did a few generations ago because they're just dragging things from one end of a screen to another instead of learning yeah. how to actually pick something up and balance it on top of something else, which takes sure. a whole lot of skills. And they're also missing out on some empathy. And you mentioned something about the exercise that they need from, from operating as scissors. And talk, talk about technology and, and what you're finding with your clients, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people who are just plopping their kids in front of a device. There are. You know, a lot of times the clients I work with are super aware of this. So I, I think, you know, I think most parents know that it's not great. So I always say, you know, if you are going to use a device, I always say, you know, like for two or three years, just looking through your camera roll often is enough. You know, like you don't have to put them in front of a game or uh, worse. The worst thing I think for toddlers for zero to six is these educational apps, quote unquote, educational apps. Oh, and yeah. they're really not. They're pushing buttons. They're hitting that dopamine response. You know, you're you're doing stuff for like gold stars or collecting the prizes online. So I don't care for those at all. I think there's some really um, there's some really cool apps 
apps out there. You know, there's some maze apps and there's some things that if you're going to have your kid on a device. But generally speaking, if for me, I'm all about outside. Like, get outside. That gives your kids all the skills they need. And part of my book is not just helping parents mitigate this crappy behavior they see in toddlers, but I think what we're losing, Carmen, is the idea that these zero to six years, this is the foundation for the next chunk of years, right? So, like, parents are looking at childhood in a vacuum. Like, if I can just get through this day. Right. They're not looking for the long term goal. And that's where technology comes into play. Right. It's like I'm exhausted. I'm going to put my kid in front of a screen and it happens. But we have to if we could just get kids more outside, um, that builds all the skills they need. Penmanship has completely gone down the tubes. And I was working uh, with an OT, an old OT who said it's not technology itself, it's not keyboarding, why penmanship is taking a hit. It's lack of core muscles. So yeah. kids aren't actually using their core muscles enough to build its gross motor skills first that build the fine motor skills. So when she's working with a kid on penmanship, she goes back to core exercises. But the basic, like, the think of like what we did when we were kids, crab walk wheelbarrow incidentally both of those um, are not allowed in schools anymore because of our litigious society and kids like hurting themselves so right. part of it is our even our school system do you know oh my god this is mind-blowing tag is illegal like most schools public schools aren't allowing kids to play tag on the playground because kids have lost their proprioception and their vestibular input and they don't know how to like tag a kid and turn on a dime they're knocking kids over so all that comes back to the gross motor skills of toddlerhood. So we've got to go back to, like, leapfrog. All those games that we played outside that get your kids moving, I call it big play, like big, raucous play where they're using whole body movements, not just, oh, I'm sorry, you opened a can of worms here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, th this is exactly, it's exactly right. I mean, uh, you, know, you, you and I couldn't be closer together on this one. It, it just, it's just, it's disturbing and sad how much of this stuff is going on. I can't, I'm, I'm really, I'm not all on the let's blame it on technology. I, there's so no. many other factors going on. One of them is the uprise in organized sports. Like, that's right. a thing. People exactly. think that's play. And so peewee soccer is a huge thing. And people think that, okay, I'm getting my kid running, playing peewee soccer. Number one, it's adult-led. So your child's not learning any negotiating skills with their peers. It's adult-led, and they're running. So they're not using all their arms. They're not using their core, right? So that, this, like, increase in the organized sports, that's a really huge thing. Um, the idea, sure, a generation ago, five-year-olds could walk themselves to school. Now we think that would be horrific, and we know statistically crime is down. But we don't do that anymore, you know? So kids aren't outside playing. We're helicopter parents. We have so... Um, low tolerance for discomfort in our kids. We don't let them work out their own deals in the sandbox. Yeah. And of course, a two or three or four-year-old is going to need help negotiating their peers. They are going to need you to step in occasionally. But at the first sight of anything gone wrong, we cry bully, we jump in. And, and so we're not letting kids work it out. We're not letting them get a little hands-on. You know, I'm not saying yeah. Let your kids fight it out in the sandbox, but but there's a there's a there's some hands-on play that happens with kids. That, you know, some wrestling, yeah. some roughhousing, and we jump in. We think it's bullying. So, so Jamie, think, we we only have just a minute left. I just want you to okay. quickly give me that. That's okay. I'll have to have you back on. But what's the one thing you want parents to know about toddlers at this point, and and how we need to interact with them to help them to be the best they can be for the next period of the life? 
The best thing I want to say is set your child up to be the best they can be. This age, you are never going to get rid of all the crappy behavior. You won't because they're exploring. There's explosive emotional development. There's explosive brain development, explosive physical development. It's all going to collide in tantrums. It's all going to collide in bad behavior occasionally. But set yourself up. Set your child up to be the best they can be. Appropriate sleep. Err on the side of more sleep. Always, our kids are underslept. Good meals, no snacking. Good, you know, snacking contributes to, to picky eating and less meal time, less nutritious food. And do the things. Keep a tight schedule. Be don't be afraid to stay home. Stay home if you need a quiet day. Too many activities string your child out. Stay away from high stimulations, and that will set your child up to be the best they can be. And plenty of unstructured play. Yes. <laughs> Jamie Glowacki is the author of Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler, Tackling These Crazy Awesome Years, No Timeouts Needed, and you can visit her at her website, Jamie, J-A-M-I-E, Glowacki, G-L-O-W-A-C-K-I, dot com. Jamie, thanks so much. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. 911, what is your emergency? My kid shot himself. All right, where's the wounds? 911, what's your emergency? Please help. My son shot his brother. 911, what is your emergency? 911, please state your emergency. Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. It wasn't locked. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brant, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. We all know about the dreaded summer brain drain when students forget a lot of what they learned during the previous school year and have to spend the first few months of the new year catching up. You can help your kids turn that brain drain into a brain gain by encouraging reading over the summer. Here are some recent books that will not only capture children's attention, but also encourage them to read even more. Weird But True, USA, from National Geographic Kids. This fascinating book contains 300 unusual facts about the states that make up the United States of America. For example, California scientists modeled a solar cell after a fly's eye. Jello is the official state snack of Utah, and Nutty Narrows Bridge in Longview, Washington, was built so squirrels can safely cross a busy road. It's for kids ages 8 to 12, costs under $7. Explorer Academy from National Geographic. Kids and curious adults learn about cracking codes from the ancient to the most modern, from simple letter replacement like A is Z and Q is L, etc., and Morse code to semaphores and pig pen grids. Yep, you're going to have to read the book to find out what that is. For ages 8 to 12, costs about 9 bucks. Amelia Earhart, Pioneer of the Sky, by James Buckley Jr. and Kelly Tyndall. In a time when women rarely drove cars, Amelia Earhart flew a plane across the Atlantic Ocean by herself. 
She also set dozens of other aviation records and is one of the most famous missing persons in history. This graphic novel explores Earhart's life, accomplishments, and the many theories surrounding her disappearance. It's for kids ages 8 to 12 and costs under 10 bucks. Take Your Pet to School Day by Linda Ashman and Suzanne Kaufman. Most schools have a no pets rule. But what would happen if some clever animals hacked into a school's computer and changed that rule? The answer plays out in this cute book where pets join their children in the library, art class, the cafeteria, and more. The results are predictable and hilarious. It's for ages 3 to 7, costs about 12 bucks. The Very Short, Entirely True History of Unicorns by Sarah Lasko and Sam Beck. Unicorns may not be real, or are they? But they've been the subject of speculation and mystery for thousands of years. Readers, young and old, will learn about unicorns as they've appeared throughout history and in nearly every recorded culture. Beautifully illustrated with photos and drawings, it's for ages 8 to 12 and costs under $10. Duel at Aralen, Ranger's Apprentice, The Royal Ranger, Book 3, by John Flanagan. Fans of Flanagan's Ranger's Apprentice series were understandably disappointed when the series wrapped in 2013, but they were just as understandably excited when the original hero, Will Treaty, began training his own apprentice, Maddie, in a new series, The Ranger's Apprentice, which launched in 2018. In this third volume, Maddie has to rescue her father and his men who are trapped and surrounded by enemy soldiers. It's for ages 10 and up, costs under $13. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.